Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Red speculation. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Now launching. Sequence start. Mackie and Judd. We'll see you. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Rodeo. Backhanded front, they score! Logan Couture is there. A great feed from Lukas Rodeo, and it's 1-0 Sharks. And the Sharks strike first here in Minnesota. And now a break for Joe Pavelski. Get alone. Scores! The big Pavelski! The Sharks with two lightning quick goals. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, you know, we've got uh, two more games before Christmas. We've got to start, uh, you know, playing 60 minutes and not 45 or not 50 or not 52. And, uh, you know, that's to win and to win consistently, that's what you have to do. And obviously at some point pretty soon we're going to have to put a run together of five or six or seven games together. 16 total shot attempts from Burns and Carlson. Here's a chance at the side, they score! It's Couture again, and it's 3-0 as the Sharks come right out of the gate here in the third period. Ahead to Stahl, he's bumped by Goodrow. Here's an empty net chance, and they score! Lukash Radil, right place, right time. Lukash, the real deal Radil. And it's 4 nothing. I wish I knew. I mean, we were a great bit at the beginning of the year, even a home team. And uh, uh, last year we were a very, very good, good home team. I, and right now we're just when you're when you're struggling scoring, whether you're home or on the road, it's going to catch up to you. And right now we're having a hard time scoring, you know, two goals in a game. They're having a hard time doing much right, Bruce. Just admit to it. You're having a hard time doing much right. I come to you with the solution for the 2018-19 Minnesota Wild, Manny Hill and Jonathan Harrison, as we prepare to turn the calendar uh, to January 1 of 2019. It's not pretty, but it's a solution. So the Wild won 10 of 12 games between October the 16th and November 11th after a terrible start. They moved into, temporarily at least at that time, the second spot in the Western Conference. It was at that point that I thought, geez, this team might be okay after all. Maybe Paul Fenton really didn't need to do much with this roster. (laughs) Maybe this wild team's not such a calamity. And then I've seen this team in a different light of late. 
Four nothing loss. I played all the goals to you last night against the San Jose Sharks. Tuesday night home game. That for the Wild, their tenth loss in the past sixteen games. Their second loss in a in a row to a better team from the Western Conference. Saturday it was Calgary. Tuesday it was the Sharks. The Wild is now tenth in the conference, three points out of a playoff spot. Could there be a resurgence of this Wild team? They're not called the Furious Rallies for nothing. Absolutely, <laughs> there could be. Now the key question is, should there be? And let me give you an elongated no to that. There should not be. By now, if you're Paul Fenn, you've had to realize that the, if you recall, it was last May when he took over for Chuck Fletcher when he got the job. He and Craig Leopold, who owned the team, talked about tweaks. Tweaks aren't going to save this current group. And I'll tell you what else is not, even though I've seen this mentioned in various media reports. Panic trades to help the here and the now to try and make a let's try and fix it by getting a center type of trade or let's try and fix it by getting a sniper type of trade. That would be nothing more than foolish. I have no problem with the fact, in fact, I think in retrospect it was smart, that Paul Fenton took a good, long, hard look at this team to see what he had and to sort of judge the landscape of the wild. He could have made some trades in the Summertime, my guess is he tried to make a few trades. Teams came to him and asked for too much. He said, no, thank you. He kept what he had, which means guys like Coyle, Niederreiter, go down that whole list. But now, now is the time, after what we've seen in the past couple weeks, to bail. This team can sneak into the playoffs. And here's the problem. We've seen it before. Six consecutive seasons. We've seen this team make the playoffs. And they always say, well, we made the playoffs and we're in a elite select group with, I think it's the Anaheim Ducks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if it happens again, if you get that last wild card spot this year, if you just sneak into the playoffs, it leads you absolutely nowhere. The trade deadline is February 25th. Paul Fenton, and I'm confident he's a smart guy, needs to and should be exploring his options right now. That means on the trading block, guys that I'm actively shopping, Jason Zucker, Nino Niederreiter, Eric Stahl, for sure. He can get you something. Charlie Coyle, Jared Spurgeon, Brodeen, and yes, even Devin Dubnik. I don't want to trade Granlin and I don't want to trade Dumba, but I'm at least seeing what I can get for everybody. Here's my other part of this plan. Knowing that you cannot trade Parisi and you can't trade Suter, I go to Miko Koivu. Miko Koivu has a year left on the contract he signs, which, by the way, has a complete no-move clause. I don't know why. Through next season, Miko Koivu, though, is 35. He could help somebody. I think he could in a playoff run. I go to Miko. I say, you want to give me five teams I can trade you to? Give me five teams. I'll trade you. The best case for this team right now, and this is a team that fooled me a couple weeks ago, and I don't, or a month ago, and I don't know why, because they fooled me before, and it's absolutely crazy, because every time they do, they regress. But this is a team that you're either going to try to make the playoffs, and you're just going to just going to make it, and you're going to get ousted in the first round, or you're just going to miss, or you bail now, and you get bad. And Craig Leopold and the fan base might not like that, but but he hired Paul Fenton for a reason, and that was to judge where this team is at. And I can't help but thinking after seeing the Wild play superior teams and losing to them and being now a very average team at home for an extended period of time, 
that the assessment has to be for Paul Fenton goes to Craig Leopold and says, Craig, you hired me for a reason, and I need to start to tear this roster down. And yes, you're going to miss the playoffs for a year. You're going to miss the playoffs for two years. But if you want, you fired Chuck Fletcher for a reason. And this was a guy who continually made the playoffs with basically the same team. If you want the results to be different, then the results for a while are not going to be good. They're not going to be favorable. But ultimately, I need to trade what I can for draft picks, for prospects, and for things that are going to help this team hit the reset button. The only guy personally I feel bad for is Boudreaux because he didn't sign on for this. But the best thing for this team, and I will maintain this throughout the rest of the season, and there will be there will be a hot stretch again. There will be. It'll happen. It always does. But I will maintain this through the spring. The best thing is to hit the reset button and to start to trade guys. And that probably starts with Eric Stahl, who I think, as the trade deadline approaches, as a number two center elsewhere, can get you a lot. So you're calling for the Zolgad special. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm blow it all up and restart it. Well, I, yeah, basically. And I shop. Except for the front office, because the front office is oh, yeah. Paul Fenton's very, very and, brand new, of course. And I don't have a problem with Bruce. I think Boudreaux is a good coach. I really I feel bad for him because he came here hired by Chuck Fletcher thinking that he would help be a final piece. But the reality that Fenton has to articulate, and I'm sure he will to Leopold, is you fired Chuck and hired me for a reason. Chuck's plan wasn't working. These are Chuck's players. They're not working. It's getting worse. There was the wild start to the season was absolutely awful. And are they that bad? No. But then they got sort of hot. And they came up, and as I said, by November the 11th, they were in second place in the West. Well, they're not nearly that good. And this team is flattened out, and the last two games are very, very instructive of what this team is. You play two teams in your conference from the Pacific Division in Calgary and San Jose that are flat out better than you. There's nothing Mm -hmm. you can do about that. The loss of Dumba last night definitely hurts, but he doesn't make up the difference there. You aren't as good. And in order to get this team to where you want this team to go, you're going to need to trade some good players. Everyone's going to say, well, trade Coyle. Yeah, trade Coyle. And they might trade Coyle. But guess what? Charlie Coyle is not going to get you a lot back. Eric Stahl will. Devin Dubnik will. Mm -hmm. The only guys I don't want to trade probably, and I would listen, but I don't want to trade them. I don't want to trade Dumba because he's got a special skill set that's very hard to find. And Granlin's a very nice piece. And I think on the right team, he could be fine. But I'm listening on everybody, and I'm starting at the top of this roster. And if I could move Suter or Parisi, I would. I ju- you just can't. So what do you think happened between the Montreal and Florida games where they they won those games? I think the combined score was 12-2, to two, right, in those yes. two home games? Yes. So what happened between those two games and where we're at now? Montreal started a backup goaltender and was at the end of a long road trip and made the Miami Dolphins look like they care on Sunday. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jonathan, Manny Hill, Judd Zolgad could have taken the ice that night and beat the Canadians 4-1. to one. Uh, Florida's just bad. Right. Florida's not good. So we got... And, you know, that's fine. You're going to beat those teams. Mm-hmm. But that's come springtime, does not help you one bit. And sneaking into the playoffs as the eighth seed and not a very good team only continues the quicksand pattern that this franchise has been in for a while now. And listen, the first few times that they made the playoffs, it was great. It, It was fun. And I've said this before, but it remains true. 
The fact is, one of the greatest days to be a sports fan in this town and the greatest free agency sports day in this town's history, July 4th, 2012, didn't mm-hmm. work. It didn't work. No. You signed you signed Parisi and Suter not to make the playoffs. You signed them to win cups. Yeah. And it didn't work. We're and halfway you, through that and, and it got they have chuck, not moved the needle, really. And it got Chuck fired. Yeah. And Paul is going to have to go to Craig at some point here and say, Craig, I understand you're a fan, and I understand that you want the fans to be happy. But do you want a Stanley Cup, or do you want to continue to try and make the playoffs until, by the way, that just ends, and then you just stink? Well, and I've I've long said for years, even in you know after the first couple of years of this Parisi Suter era, is the one thing that that has held the Wild back. I think is the fact that they have. For as long as they have existed, going back to 2000, they have never really bottomed out to yep. give themselves an opportunity to get that, to get the Connor McDavid, the Austin Matthews type of player. They've never really, I mean, Gabrick was, Gabrick was really good for a few years, but he was not, no, you're right. he was not McDavid. He was not Austin Matthews. He was just really nice goal scorer and. You know, but then he had the injuries and everything, and then he just played himself out of here. You're right. But they have never bottomed out and sort of, you know, I don't want to use the word tank, but they've never had that season where they were really awful Yeah. to give themselves an opportunity to get a stud, bona fide superstar player. And this is where they're at. They're hovering around mediocrity. This is where they've been really for the most part of their franchise. Yes, and they they thought the Parisi and Suter additions would be what what you're talking about, which is okay, we didn't bottom out, but we just signed mm-hmm. at that time two top free agent prizes on the market and we signed them to win cups. And it didn't work. And Chuck never had the ability to do it, the want to do it or the instruction of it's okay. But I can't believe that when Fenton took this job, he didn't tell Craig, I'll watch this team, I'll observe them, and then I will move accordingly. And I'm not mad about this. I'm not even frustrated. It's just time. What I'm saying is it's time to get bad. Yeah. And I don't have any interest in seeing this team make a seventh consecutive playoff appearances so they can put that in their media guide and say, we join Pittsburgh and the Ducks in continuing to go to the playoffs when it means nothing. The Blackhawks are actively tanking right now to get a high draft pick. And it's the Bla- a great move. And the Blackhawks have done this before. Yes. And that's how they ended up with Taves and, and now, Kane, and they won three cups. Now, I don't think that that version of the Blackhawks did it as much on purpose as they just got bad, and mm-hmm. that team had been bad. But anyway, the point is, is, and I say this again, I'm not upset at the team or the franchise. I will continue to follow them very closely. But it's time, and I don't mean next season, I mean 2018-19, it's time to look at January 1 and say, we need to start to move parts, we need to make trades, and we need to allow ourselves to be bad to get a higher pick, hopefully, in the draft, and also to take players and trade them for draft picks and for prospects. It's just time. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here as uh, Mackie and Judd rolls on. 62 eastbound, we've got a crash in Edina. Uh, It's causing a six-minute delay and that crash is located between Tracy Avenue and Highway 100. So uh, be on the lookout for that, Judd. 
Thank you, sir. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd, Manny, Jonathan Harrison helping us out as well. Mackie, as usual, joins the show at 4 o'clock. But now we bring in my buddy Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com, who does a great job covering uh, the National Football League as a whole, officiating matters. I want to start you off with this, Kevin. Yes, sir. As our former senior colleague used to say, has the term "it's a crazy league" ever been more true than right now? Because this is this is off the charts fun. It is, you know. And there's uh, there uh, every week I do a, a playoff picture look and uh, at the teams that are still in the playoff hunt and and uh, the teams that are eliminated. And the field is getting smaller, but there's still a surprising number of. Uh, team still uh, not only like mathematically in it, but like realistically in it. And right now, for example, been the dominant team in the league, at least on the AFC side. And right now, they're not even the uh, division champs yet. So, and we only have two weeks to go. So, it's uh, very much uh, uh, alive and well in the crazy league. What do you make of the Rams' recent two-game slide? Uh, you know, there's it's it's when they played. Uh, the Saints. That was the first time we really saw that they could, um, you know, they could potentially have some uh, offensive issues here and there, but also that their defense could uh, could could be steamrolled. And that was, I think, it was a forty-five thirty-five game, and and that was the first time when I said, oh, that you know, like that. There's some parts there that aren't all the way working, and so it's it, it, it dates back for a while. But uh, when they lost Cooper Cup, uh, who was really a um, Really, a uh, safety net for for uh, not only for Jared Goff but for Sean McVay. That's where things really started to go down in the numbers department. And Jared Goff himself, um, you know, this is the, he was in a playoff run last year, but they were very much an underdog playing an underdog schedule this year. They're playing a uh, first place schedule, and so um, at least the playoff schedule. And so that uh, has he has shown himself to not be entirely up to the task, at least. In the same way that Drew Brees is, or uh, at least Patrick Mahomes has shown so far, or Philip Rivers, or some of the other teams that are uh, at the high end of both of the conferences. So I would say that uh, you know it, the interesting thing for the Bears at three is that if, if the Rams keep uh, in this situ, if the Rams keep in this situation, um, you know that uh, a first round bye is not out of the question for them. So we'll see. But uh, that you know it does not look good. This is not the time of year when you want to start slumping if you think you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Kevin, how about the other team in Los Angeles? The Chargers are have been kind of a quiet eleven and three. I mean, I don't know if, how quiet they are now with everybody knowing, uh, seeing how good they are. But you know, how far do you think that they can go? I was a little bit hesitant to buy into them. You know, yeah. a, a few weeks ago. Uh, because they hadn't really beaten anybody significant. And then, you know, they get the comeback win against Pittsburgh, and then they go yep. to Kansas City last week and win, and they've got Baltimore this uh, this week on Saturday. So what, what's your overall view on the Chargers? I think they're really tough. I yeah. think they're a really good team. And I agree with you. You know, I was, And I think everybody was sort of in the Chargers or soft, you know, mode because we've seen them have some, some good years that, that ended with quick playoff losses, and we've seen them have – uh, you know, just when you think in the course of regular season, you think things are starting to go well. They have some weird kicking problem, or some yep. you know guy can't make extra points, or they have a block punt get returned you know twice in one game, or something. You know, there's always some crazy thing that goes into why a Chargers lost a game they should have won, and that has not really happened this year. Um, you know, the, the theory, one of the working theories around the league, at least in media circles, is that because they basically don't have a home 
stadium. You know, they're playing when they play at home at, at the StubHub uh, Center uh, at thirty thousand seat soccer stadium. It's mostly the other team's uh, fan base. You know, taking advantage of, uh, of of the fact that tickets are very available. They don't really have much of a Los Angeles fan base, and the San Diego people are still mad at them. So if they play the Eagles, it's mostly Eagles fans coming out to Southern California to have a great weekend. And so they play. 16 road games a year in a lot of ways, and so that maybe toughened them up a little bit. Um, I think Anthony Lynn, the coach, deserves a lot of credit for for you know putting an edge into that team, and they've they've done some, they've done some great drafting too. Um, and so we will um, we will see uh, how far that goes. But at this moment, I think they are giving the Chiefs a, a big run for their money as far as being the number one seed uh, in the AFC. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer in your mind, or do you think the overall run of the Chargers during his tenure has been, you know, since it's been, they haven't had a whole lot of team success under him, but he's put up the numbers and he's going to have every franchise passing record when he's done playing. So is he a Hall of Famer in your mind? I think, I think he'll, um, you always, whenever that question comes, I always say, is he one of the best players at his position in, in this generation? And I think he's right on the border there. You know, I, I guess, I would not be surprised to see him get in. Um, I don't know if he's first ballot or not, but you would think that um, over the course of this generation, uh, yeah, and it'll be really interesting because he was in the same draft, obviously, as Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. Do all do two of those guys get in? Do one of them get in? Do three of them get in? Eli Manning won two uh, Super Bowls. I don't know if you um, if the rest of his career is Hall of Fame worthy, but. You have one guy in Philip Rivers who put up the numbers every single year and never has not won a Super Bowl yet, and you have the other guy in Eli Manning, um, who most of his years do not look Hall of Fame like, but he did win two Super Bowls and had a big part in it. So that'll be an awesome debate when that comes up. But in terms of being one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the league during the 2000s and in the, in the, in this current uh, decade, I'd say he's he's right up there. Which team, in your mind, Kevin, should scare teams? If they get in the playoffs, um, who's sneaky question. here? The Colts, I think, are a hmm. team that a lot of people are looking at. There, I mean, they started one and five, so they're. Let me do some math here, real quick, on you. What are they? One seven and eight and, and six now. Yeah, eight, eight, yeah. They started one and five. They're now eight and six. They're seven and one in their past eight. If I just did my high level math, there, right? That's absolutely correct. They are, they are playing very well. How about that? And uh, they, you know, they obviously have. When Andrew Luck is healthy, we talk about one of the best quarterbacks of, uh, at the time. Yeah, I mean, he's he's up there right now. He's he's back, and they have a um, you know they they have made uh, the most they could possibly have made out of their weird coaching thing with Josh McDaniels. Uh, the people that Josh McDaniels had already hired to be on their assistant coaching staff are really good, and they were locked in the contracts. and And Frank Reich, when he got hired to replace, you know, when Josh McDaniels backed out, gladly took him. And so they got a pretty good uh, head coach, and they got a really good assistant coaching staff, and they got An- Andrew Luck back healthy, and they had a really good draft. And so you add all those things together, it took a little bit of time to put it together, but that would be a team. When a team's 7-1, I don't know how they're going to finish, obviously, but when they're playing this well for this extended period of time, that is the type of team that can make a lot of noise in the playoffs. So weeks one through approximately three or four, I talked to you, quite a bit at that time and we every time we, we talk we talk about the quarterback rule right L- landing on the quarterback and too much weight on the quarterback because 76.5 percent of a player's weight fell on the quarterback and that's a flag but 72.3 is not 
Uh, how much has that rule either been cleaned up or forgotten about since then? Because it seems like it's been a long time since that discussion has taken place. Yeah, there was a clarification, I want to say, the last week of September, the first week of October, um, that really uh, eliminated that whole controversy, honestly. I mean, it took a couple weeks for it to, to really sink in, but the and they weren't just calling, you know, it was obviously the point of emphasis was landing on the quarterback with all or most of your body weight, but they weren't just calling that. They were calling all different kinds of quarterback, you know, roughing the passer type penalties um, at a much higher rate. And then they had that clarification, and then I, there was some adjustment. There were definitely, it was, the message was definitely sent to players that if you can, if you can roll off of the quarterback, you know, don't, uh, don't, if you can avoid landing on top of them, don't. Um, and so they got that message, and maybe there's been a few occasions where people have done that. And I know the NFL has tried to put out some videos to show that, that the instances where that's happened. But uh, largely, the officials were, you know, backed off, and that's because they were told to back off unless they saw, you know, particularly in, or see a particularly egregious penalty. So there's been a lot of that kind of manipulation this year. You've seen the helmet rule thing was all up and down, and now it's back a little bit um, here towards the end of the year. There was one week when there was like a 40% jump in offensive holding, and then that was just one week, and it all went back to normal. So there's been a lot of weird penalty spikes, ups and downs this year that uh, have happened for a variety of reasons. Um, and reminds you that you know if, if they, want, they want to, the NFL can pull a lot of levers that can impact the game. that has nothing to do with how well a team plays or how well a team coaches. It's pretty amazing. Explain one rule to me. Why if I fumble the ball at the one-yard line and it, and, and it takes a hard right and goes out of bounds, my team retains the ball at the one. But if I fumble the ball and it goes around the pylon and goes out of bounds, it goes to the opposing team at the 20. Yeah. I, the, the, the people who think about these things a lot more than you or I do <laughs> um, are, are convinced that if you fixed that and you just, that you would, there would be such a domino effect of other calls that would be impacted that it wouldn't be worth it. And so that's what we heard about the catch rule for a long time. And you didn't even bring up the catch rule the other, you know, when you asked about officiating just now. It's forgotten. They, they basically more or less fixed the big issue that um, was being raised by everybody, and that was the obvious catches that were being ruled incomplete. Um, and so maybe at some point they'll realize that, you know, this, even though there might be some, some downward d- dominoes and maybe um, – uh, the, the fact that it only comes up a couple times a year, you don't want to be writing rules that correct something that only comes up a couple times a year. Maybe they'll, they'll get to a point where, where they hear enough complaints and they realize that, it does, you know, all those things aside, why are we providing, why are we creating this, this um, situation that just cause, causes angst and, and also, like the catch rule, causes major changes in the swings of games. Um, just because we're worried about you know the, the long-term ramifications of what it means for other plays. Kevin, is there a coach around the league right now who might be on the hot seat that could maybe salvage his job in these last two weeks of the season? Um, sure there is. Let me, you know, let me try to go through the, uh, the list of, uh, of people that could possibly be out. You know, the, I think the big one is John Harbaugh, so I don't – I don't know if he uh, he's being discussed as being on the hot seat if he doesn't make the playoffs, but the Ravens have a good chance, you know, are right on are on track at least yeah. to make the playoffs. What's interesting is they're competing with the Colts and the Titans 
and the Ravens have the hardest schedule by far of those three teams. And so, <clears throat> analytically, the Ravens are, are looking at an uphill battle and make the playoffs. You know, they if somebody one of those three teams wins their next two games, and the other two, you know, loses at least one, then that's the team that's going to be the sixth wild card in the uh, in the AFC. And so, the Ravens have a pretty decent chance of missing the playoffs. If they if they make it, though, you would think that that would lock in John Harbaugh. We've seen coaches fired after making the playoffs. Um, we've seen coaches resign, mutual <laughs> agreement to part ways. But you know, if they make a good playoff run and they have their new quarterback in place and they can move on with that, then I could see him, you know, ensuring the fact that he's going to return next year. I think we could have when when it's all said and done. I I think we could have about what seven changes if you include McCarthy and Green Bay. Yeah, that's there's the gonna be a lot heard, of changes. I heard seven to eight today. Um, you know, and it'll it, there's always a surprise. Uh, firing. There's always a su- surprise uh, team that decides to retain. This year, you know, we hear this every year, but this year there's definitely I couldn't name you seven or eight people I would, you know, be thrilled to hire if I were an NFL <laughs> owner as head coach. It doesn't mean that it can't work out. There's unknown guys that end up being great coaches, um, but in terms of people that you would feel confident about going in, um, you know, it, there's some. It's not slim pickings, but there's not a whole list of obvious they're ready to go right now and win Super Bowl type coaches. The one I don't get is if Doug Marone keeps his job in Jacksonville. And and I know they came out and said that they weren't going to fire him, but that's one I don't get. I mean that team has fallen apart at four and ten. They have, you know, and and you know, this is his second year. His first year he came into a, a, a situation where they had been losing pretty much forever and got him to the AFC championship game. And so you know, if I were the owner there, I would consider last year as much as this year. It's not a good year, but I'm not sure I would fire him off the off the one year. It's um, the mistake they made um, is to me, you know, committing to Blake Bortles for yes. one more year, and his play really didn't change that much this year. Uh, but their defense was a little bit less, you know, stalwart, and their special teams were a little bit less. Uh, good as it was last year, and he was not able to bridge the gap. You know, that's a, you know, you, you know what you. I don't think anyone would have guessed that Blake Bortles was would be a quarterback this year who could come in and lift up a team on his own. Um, and so that was if they made a miscalculation. And I don't even know if that was his you know, Marone's decision or Tom Coughlin's decision. But their idea that they could be so good everywhere else that it didn't matter that they had a really um, average to below average quarterback. Um, and that they would somehow get to the Super Bowl was was misguided. This has got to be it for Marvin Lewis, right, Kevin? I mean, sixteen <laughs> years. Many of this times. I know, I know. No, it doesn't. He may, you know, he. I don't know if they'll ever fire him, um, but he may decide that you know he's he's coached enough, he's ready to retire. I don't know. Like there was a talk a couple years ago that he would announce a, like almost like a college situation where he would announce he would be leaving at some point who Hugh Jackson would be their coach <laughs> waiting. And that made sense at that point. And then Hugh went to Cleveland and I would say his reputation is not quite as sterling as it was, but now he's back. And so who knows what the Bengals have in, in mind. Um, but, uh, you know, one of these years will be Marvin Lewis's last, but I can't say that I, you know, think it's any more likely this year than other years. Thank you, sir. Talk to you later. Appreciate the time, as always. Okay, guys. All right. Kevin Seifert, ESPN. Check out his work. Uh, Does a fantastic job. Covers league as a whole. Especially does a good job of focusing on rules, and of those, there are many that this league is struggling with or trying to get right. What are the Twins doing? Or are they going to do a damn thing? Derek Wetmore joins next to discuss. 
Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. Uh, back to Joe Maurer. Uh, let him go. You know, let him go play golf. Well, go shoot deer out of a stand. Leave him alone gonna... for about three years, <laughs> four years, and then have him come back. And, you know, this rush to honor him is uh, preposterous. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd. Mackie joins the show at 4 o'clock. Derek Wetmore covers the Twins, 1500ESPN.com, steps into studio right now. That was Patrick Royce from the Unchained podcast bagging the Twins to allow Joe some downtime to quit bothering <laughs> him. Joe alone. Quit bringing him out to Creighton Durham Hall because he thinks he's going to talk to a bunch of kids about the meaning of life and to let Joe just do what yeah. Joe wants to do because he thinks Joe is just getting, you know, ticked off that they quit they keep calling them up what a burden it is to have your number retired and to do it at your high school and to have your favorite player growing up be the one to break the news what a burden that must be i i'm with in pat i'm Mauer, offended in the joe mauer what gymnasium or something right yes yeah, the jo- joe mauer joe? field house yeah. i can't get in the build hall of fame and this joker's got a field house <laughs> named after him this joker have i not done enough in sports to be in the build st margaret's Judd, hall of fame I, I wonder how much the donation uh your your huge donations, no doubt, over the years to Benilde St. Margaret's uh, that the Scarlet Knights have not put your name on a building somewhere is a travesty. Give. This is back scratch, and I got nothing to give till I get. <laughs> that's, that's right. Then maybe I'll give. Then then they can find out. Quid pro quo, baby. The Ex- quid pro quo auditorium. Exactly. The only thing that surprised me about the Mauer thing, and I'm not surprised, but yeah, I would have. I would have done it at the retirement press conference just as part of the, because it was so emotional. I would have just been like, and nobody will ever wear the number seven again and be done. Because you knew that, you knew this was coming soon. Yeah, but I mean, I got it's, 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 it's fine. Yeah, I see you throwing your hands up as if it's like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, I don't, I don't disagree with like the timing of it, how the twins did it. And it, I don't think it was all on the twins, how this came about. From my understanding, uh, Maddie Maurer had a hand in this, as did one of Joe's. Childhood, like lifelong buddies, Tony Leeson. To surprise him. Who works over at Creighton. It's to say, hey, in fact, I was told that <laughs> that his buddy, Tony, who who works over there. Former and, golfer, right? Uh, you know, I don't know the I backstory. Played for the Gophers, they, yeah. they go way back to high school and remain friends throughout and told Joe, apparently, this is the story anyway, this is what I heard yesterday. Hey, don't worry. This would be basically like a Twins caravan event. Just, you know. Show up, Joe Mauer, yay, we'll all clap for you. A couple students will ask some questions. It's, it's really, it's no big deal. Well, then in March, TK, Tony Oliva, Burt Blylev, and Ken Herbeck, and they make the announcement on the stage. I'm told anyways, and if we're led to believe that Joe Mauer did not know about this until Herbeck started his speech. It's pretty crazy. Okay, question. Yes. If that was you, Joe's an adult. Yeah. Okay, so this is not like he's not 12. If that was you, would you be thrilled by that? Or would, would you be like, come on, tell me about it. <laughs> I would totally not be happy. It was me. Do you like surprise Christmas presents, Jed? Or do you want to know what you're getting? Oh, right now? Yeah. Adult? Want to know 100%. Okay. Don't want surprises. Okay. As a little kid, it was great. It For was sure. awesome. Yeah. But as an adult, I want to know and I want to say <laughs> yay or nay. And I want, that's what I'm saying. If I'm Joe, tell me, tell me at the, at the press conference, hey, we're going to announce. I'll be like, that's cool. That's fine. I get it. 
it's my number. Yeah. But if if Dawn and my buddy drag me to some some high school and surprise <laughs> me, I'm gonna be like. I, I'm a bleeping adult. You don't need yeah. to surprise me. If you're getting a new pair of socks, you want to know what color That's, the socks are. Yes, because I don't want dark socks. I like white socks. People exactly hate white right. socks. I like white socks. Yeah, well, I just... Look. So good for them, but I if, but if I'm Joel, I sit everybody down and I say, enough with the surprises. I think we need to say one thing here, that it's that there is there are shades of surprise. Joel Maurer is not surprised that the number seven no. will not be worn again. He was just surprised on the day that he found out. He, he wasn't sure. The drama wasn't in... Oh gee, is uh, is seven going to be hanging up over there with three, six? You know, somebody's going to go to spring 28, training. Twenty eight, twenty nine, and thirty four. Yeah, the second like, baseman's going to spr- a camp invite asks for seven in Scope, Fort Myers. Scope gets seven. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we figured you'll be pretty good. I, I wore it in high school. Come on, there's no surprise in that it happened. I yeah. guess the drama is just around how it was revealed to him. Uh, okay, so we've got C.J. Crone <laughs> signed before the winter meetings to play first base. We've got Scope signed before the winter meetings to play second base. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few moves here and there, not much. That's right. What should we expect now? And and it doesn't. I will. In the Twins' defense, anybody that expected them to go to Vegas and make a ton of moves, it's 2018. That don't happen yeah. now, so that should not be surprising. But what should we expect the next moves to be? And, and I guess most importantly, should we expect much more, or is this just all part of a slow process? I think the slow process is a fair way of putting it. I, I thought that this could be an offseason, Judd, where they came in and got aggressive and said, well, if the Indians are taking a step back, this is our division which to win. You, which you push for, correct? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I got on this show talking about Bryce Harper. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> you know, yep. like, I think that this is a spot where the Twins can be uber aggressive and go. Now, what are we... Six weeks removed from the end, from that uh, Joe Maurer press conference, that that sort of felt like the end of 2018, and now we're looking at 2019. Now the fact that they're slow playing it has me second guessing that strategy. I, I'm not. I really don't think they're going to, in fact, make that big splash. If you were looking to make a big splash, it, it, maybe if you look down from the top tier guys, maybe the Manny Machados, the Bryce Harpers, even beyond that, your splash would be bringing a big bat at DH. Bring in at least one, preferably two, relievers. Guys that you're going to throw at the back end of your bullpen and slide everybody else down a peg. Those would be the splashy moves that you'd make. I, I've said this before. I think the starting rotation is like, okay, it's not great. It's fine. If you're going to aim to improve that, you need to aim at the top, not this back end or middle middle of the rotation starter stuff. That, that'll only help the Twins so much. But when you ask me on, like, how are you thinking about this offseason, I look at it now and... I've sort of turned heel on six weeks ago. I thought this was the time to be aggressive. I still personally think that. I think it's time to go. I don't think they think that way. I agree with you. I think they are waiting on this. So when you say slow process, what triggers in my head is make the team okay. Make the team competitive. Make it good enough to be in the mix July Mm -hmm. 4th, 7th, 10th, 15th, to the point where, okay, if we're in this race, now it's time to start flipping prospects for impact players right now. And that's something that I could really see them doing in 2019. Do they feel like Nick Gordon is close and that's why they went and got Jonathan Scope for just like the one-year deal? And if they do feel like he's close, how close is he? Yeah, I don't think Nick Gordon's that close. I just, the the year he had last year, Manny, would not scare me off. He didn't think hit it, last year. Yeah, and in, in AAA, and we should say he was young for the level. Yeah. So he got promoted and had been doing well at AA, correct? He had put up some numbers at AA. Okay. And I look at it as that's fine. Next step, he struggled. That's okay. I think he was 22. So I'm not. I'm not here to say Nick Gordon's not a prospect or he's not going to be a big leaguer. I think Nick Gordon is going to be a 
big leaguer, and I think he's going to be a good one. I don't think it's in the first half of 2019. So, Manny, the scope signing to me is more like, here's a guy who would have cost way more if he had had a normal season. And he, like a lot of Twins players last year, was hurt and way underperformed expectations. Mm -hmm. So they're basically saying, all right, we get to pay for those reduced expectations. We get to pay for the lesser version of Jonathan Scope. And if it works out for them in 2019, great. You get to cash in on a great year of a good second baseman before he hits free agency. And bonus points, you get to offer him the qualifying and get a draft pick compensation if it's not going to work out long-term for him. I think they're just making a short-term gamble saying, this guy's better than we're going to have to pay for. Let's let's invest in that difference. And if he's having a nice season, you could maybe flip him in on you July could. 31st and maybe get a little something for him. Too. You could. If you're a wheeler and dealer and you think you're going to be out of it in July, he is definitely a piece that if he has a, a 2017 Jonathan Scope season, ton of value in that bat for any contending team. So this question is going to sound weird framed this way, but it, I think it's the only way to ask it. How good do the people that run the Twins want the 2019 Twins to be? Mm. I'm not talking flukes. 17 was a fluke. Like, it was fun, but it was sort of fluky. It wasn't, nobody, nobody had expectations. But baseball's changed a lot, and the people that run baseball have changed a lot, and mentalities, if the mentality always used to be, spring training's here, and let's go win the pennant, and then you stunk, you're like, oh, that's too bad. That's changed. So what's your assessment? How good do Falvey, Levine, and Rocco, I guess, too, how good do you think they intend this team to be? It's a really good question, and it's the question to me. This is the central question of this whole offseason leading into next season. Heck, if you even want to cast back and look in the rearview mirror, it's the central question to why would you run Paul Molitor and half the coaching staff? Well, expectations. Where you're going developmentally as an organization, not only the 25-man roster, but I think that they think the last two years, talent-wise, Judd, pretty similar. The the outside perception, let's just get this out there, is playoff team that took a huge step back. Some of their best players that we've been hearing about for years flat out didn't show up. Yeah, they had some injuries, but that was a no-show Twins team in 2018. I think internally, the the Twins front office thinks of it more like we had a good pop-up season in 2017. It was fun. Some very good individual performances, and they wouldn't trade that. But 2018, underperformance, injury to key players like your starting catcher, starting shortstop got suspended for steroids, your opening day starter projected basically gave you nothing, your two wonderkins were bad. They had bad seasons, hurt effective when they were healthy. So all of those things that went wrong, I think they view that as that's the primary difference between making the playoffs and being an also-ran. So how good do they want to be in 2019? you got to at least get back to that mid-'80s wins that you were two years ago. But I think if they add a couple of more pieces, to me, I look at this team on paper, I wouldn't think 90 wins is out of the question if you're going to pursue that this winter. If you're not if you're gonna just sit on your hands, then whatever. Maybe you're low eighties, mid eighties. But if you go add, say, a Nelson Cruz and you get an arm or two arms, all of a sudden this is starting to look like kind of a solid ball club, even without Sano and Buxton becoming awesome. If they become awesome, right. then you're off to the race. Who's trying to get Cruz now? 
I saw the report a couple weeks ago as the Twins and I think Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay was but in on it. But then I saw Houston had gotten in, and that obviously could change the dynamic. And my guess is that might have shut down with Michael Brantley signing in Houston. They've sure. got a number of great players. Their position player list is absurd. Even losing Marwin Gonzalez, adding Michael Brantley to that mix, is that's that's going to be a World Series contender this year. There's no two ways about it. I think that if you're Nelson Cruz, you're going to have a couple of options. But it is limited by the fact that he's basically a 38-year-old bat-only player. Sure. If the Twins, would it make some sense? Yeah. Would Nelson Cruz make sense for the Twins? Absolutely, I think so. Mm-hmm. The fact that it hasn't gotten done, Judd, that is one of those that makes me pause and say, they're being pretty cautious about this. Well, they're being so reserved. I thought this was an offseason to go make splashes. So far, they haven't done that, and that makes me kind of question what their big-picture strategy is. As we sit here on December the 19th, if you were to go to Vegas and place a bet, and that bet was Sano or Buxton bounces back, but it's just one, which one do you bet on? I guess define bounces back, because I'm not trying gives to answer the type, on the question. Give, gives you the type of year that you would expect. Where where you get done with 2019 and say, this player is now, 2018 might have been, it was weird, it was fluky, it was, but that's in the rearview mirror, and now this player is on track to be the player that we thought he could be. Sano. I think Sano, because I think he has, Let first of all, let's wait and see if he comes back from his version of off-season boot camp, and he looks great. Hey, he's sending them videos every day. That's right, yeah. That's hey, I'm in great. Like Terry Crews, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Terry exactly. Crews, hired gun for uh, Mikel Sunel stand-in. <laughs> Photoshop, come on. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> that wouldn't be too tough. But I think there's, well, and they, let's say two. I mean, they have a trainer down there with him. It's not like he's just videotaping himself taking grounders or throwing the in tennis Florida ball off the garage. Or, or in the Dominican. In the Dominican, Anywhere okay. he goes, they're going to have some eyes on him. Like I, I don't think... And maybe I'm overreaching there, but I think that if you're giving an off-season guided plan and he signed off on it, you want to have your fingerprints on it as much as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. At least, at the very least, with guided workouts and a nutrition plan. If he comes back looking like an athlete, I think it's fairly easy to see just like this narrative all falling into place that he's now back to being that good, patient, selective, contact-oriented, still some strikeout, but a ton of pop, ton of walks. That great hitter. That's fine. Buxton, Buxton, I think, will always be a great defensive player. So his floor is higher than Sano's floor. But to get to the ceiling that we thought we were going to see right at the end of 2017, we've seen stretches of it before. Yes, in months at a time. He really has to solve some of the contact problems that afflicted him last year. I don't think that's very easy to solve. I don't think it's as easy as flipping a switch and saying, like, okay, cool, now I can get bat to ball and I'm allowing my speed to play up, and I'm allowing some of that power to play up. Contact is a really, really difficult thing in today's MLB, and that, to me, would be a concerning underlying factor. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Judd. Derek Wetmore, check out his work, 1500ESPN.com. Also, the uh, Touch Em All podcast that uh, he and Mackie do on a regular basis. Take a break, come back. Mackie joins at 4. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. We're four minutes in front of four o'clock. 62 eastbound. Uh, That crash I told you about earlier in Edina between Tracy Avenue and Highway 100. Well, the delay is up to about 11 minutes now, so that crash is still there. They're trying to clear that thing out. And uh, it's slowing down your trip if you're headed eastbound on 62 by 11 minutes. So 
be on the lookout for that, Judd. You know, he's played outstanding really last month or so, you know, maybe a little longer, playing with great physicality, effort to the ball. He's doing a lot better in, in his pass rushing. I think there were some times the other day that he showed up quite a bit on it. Mike Zimmer talking today about Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr, who I will fully admit had a fantastic game, had two sacks on Sunday against the Dolphins. But can you guys explain to me? So the Vikings had four guys, and, and I know it's the Pro Bowl. I hate the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl's stupid. But the Vikings had four guys named to the NFC Pro Bowl team yesterday. Daniil Hunter, 100% deserves to. Absolutely. Harrison Smith, probably not as good as last year, but a Pro Bowl player. Mm-hmm. He's he made got, made and, a name for himself. And he got snubbed last year. He ended yeah. up on the team, but he got snubbed last year. So zero problem, right, Manny? Right, correct. Thielen, 1,000%. Absolutely. Second consecutive. Deserves he, it. Yep. Deserves it. Anthony Barr, <laughs> like, I, and I'm asking this question without being a smartass. Am I missing something here? Like, is there something that I don't appreciate or don't see or don't know about Anthony Barr, a Pro Bowl? I mean, he's been really good for the last month. He had a good game on Sunday, but Pro Bowl voting was done by then. But it's a 16 game season, man. And I, he was yes. nowhere to be found the first. Yeah. Especially when the defense was struggling that first month, month or so of the season, he was nowhere to be found. Well, well, or we found him. He was getting cooked. Yeah. But then it's not coverage. like that Rams game was entirely his fault. But right. still, I mean, on the national stage, that's what that's what you put out and somehow you're in the Pro Bowl. So that Rams game was not the pass coverage issues in which he looked terrible were not necessarily his fault. But I'm still asking, yeah. I mean the question the question is not did he look terrible? The question is did he look Did he look like a Pro Bowl? Like an all star player. At, at any time until Sunday. And it might not even be all his fault. But the Pro, the Pro Bowl should be done away with. I think everything about it, and it won't be because people watch it and it gets ratings. I would name the All-Pro teams, which are completely legit teams, and I think mm-hmm. there's two of those, and the Pro Bowl is just a joke. But I don't get that one. I don't get that one. Yeah, I, I, I saw it and I was like, huh, okay. It's a bit baffling. He's been, he's been good for the last month, but okay. And could, could this lead to a uh, 1500 ESPN Twitter poll, Jonathan Harrison? It is already up. Should Anthony Barr be a pro bowler? All right. Along with this one, is it time for the Wild to sell off and bail on the season right now? Yes, bail now. No sneak into the postseason. 74% of you are with me. It's time to bail on <laughs> the season. Buying it, they're buying into the Zolgad special. The, Blow it all The up. state of dumping. Bleep the state of hockey. Back after this with Mackey. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN.